Hello, this is Penn Gillette. If I were to actually listen to the Liberal Cube podcast featuring host Jordan Maywood, I could potentially enjoy it. The Libra Cube. That is a podcast we haven't heard yet. Might be good, might be terrible. The Libro Cube Podcast with host Jordan Maywood. All right, here we go. This comes to us from our good friend Jordan Maywood. You call hamburger steamed ham. Yes. Hello, my name is Jordan Maywood and I am the Lackadaisical Liberal Curialist. This show is one in which, rather than let all of the, the, the data, all the info, all the, 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 the tidbits, all the timbits for that matter, sit in the dusty attic of my mind and slowly drive me mad, I pour it forth. Where does this data come from? Well, it comes from movies, TVs, books, games, and internets. Obviously, as the segments will prove, Your Honor. Uh, I think one of the important things to say at the top of every show, which sometimes I don't because I am not good, uh, is that I may spoil things for you. So, you know, I warn of that possibility. I don't want to spoil it. Uh, I want you to experience some of this media yourself i want you to consume a la they live i suppose that's a that's a reference uh all right i i think i have yeah okay well rather than you know look at what i have why don't i just show you what i have by pushing this button Monologue. Today's movie monologue sponsor is my Etsy shop for time travel, armbands, decals, stickers, and flair. Link will one day be in the episode description. Thank you for that sponsorship. We were talking. Oh, this is what I was about to say before I uh, decided why wouldn't I say it in the segment rather than say it not in the segment. And that is in this movie monologue segment. I only have one movie. Yeah. Only, uh, 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 and I've sort of hinted at this that my movie consumption. Uh, is is at an all time low, perhaps, perhaps, which you know, the kind of sad. I should uh, I should rectify that. You know what it is. Um, I think as soon as I'm done campaign one of Critical Role, which I'm uh, slowly chugging along at that as well. Uh, I'll, I'll I'll do so. I'll do a bunch of movie days and just fucking jam pack the shit out of this segment. Is my tentative game plan. Now, the movie in question that I had to watch is The Tomorrow War. Oh, when I say had to watch, I mean in the good sense, because I was dying to see this thing after finding out uh, that uh, Mitch, Mike Mitchell, why did I call him Mitch Mike Mitchell? I don't know. Um, Mike Mitchell uh, is in this movie uh, uh, of Doughboy's fame, of love, uh, of my love for uh, him in general. Uh, so, uh, he has been promoting it uh, on the podcast a fair amount is safe to say. Uh, and, uh, uh, really sort of got me excited to see it and see uh, him in particular. And I gotta say, he's pretty fucking awesome in this movie. Um, they even did, uh, and I didn't bring this back. This is more of an internet intercourse thing, but, uh, they had uh, Chris Pat Pratt, uh, uh, briefly on the uh, show and, uh, Chris sort of praised him very highly. It, it sounded like he, 
uh, practically like sought him out for the role and just sort of knew he would be good. And then after the movie verified his goodness, which is, uh, uh, gave me a heartwarming feeling. So, uh, I imagine it did the same for, uh, Mike as well. Uh, uh, if you're unfamiliar with the tomorrow war, you know, it's, it's interesting because despite, uh, seeing a bunch of previews and all, all the uh, uh, Doughboy stuff and uh, uh, just hearing about it in general. Uh, I didn't really know what the premise was exactly. So uh, uh, it was an interesting idea. Uh, a family man is drafted to fight in a future war where the fate of humanity relies on his ability to confront the past. Eh, not your best, Imda. Not your best Imda description, I will say, whoever wrote that. No offense. Maybe a little offense. Uh, yeah, so there's a point in the future that we can travel back and forth from. An interesting mechanic they added to that is that, um, so say it's 30 years in the future, which it's like 28 or something. So it's 30 years in the future today. If I travel there today, I'm there. I am 30 years in the future. If I wait a week, then I'm 30 years, one week in the future. So it's, it's that they're sort of running in parallel, which is interesting. Now, one thing that I guess I would consider a plot hole was the fact that, uh, and I guess maybe that's sort of what this whole movie is about. Um, yes, yeah, sending people to, from the present to fight in the war, because if you don't, you'll be overrun and uh, humanity will be destroyed. Yeah, that's a good thing, sure. But why can you not send back uh, uh, information, uh, data, huh? uh, in order to uh, stop these creatures? Which, in the end, that's basically what they did. However, they didn't do it purposefully. And when I say they, I mean the human race. Which, to be fair... Like, I saw this as a major plot hole, and the way they sort of explained it away uh, actually sort of made a logical sense, which is, uh, uh, so Chris Pratt gets this, uh, you know, MacGuffin uh, to bring back from the future to the past um, that can be used in order to stop these things uh, sort of as they're emerging uh, in the future, okay? Um he has this thing and for some reason nobody seems to care <laughs> uh, for some reason it's up to him and a small team to make use of this mcgovern uh in order to prevent this uh, uh the these bad bad things from uh from even happening now that seems dumb why would humans you know what why would humans not do things that uh, protect themselves uh, from a horrible future, you might say. <laughs> and then you sort of look at it from the point of view of, wait, we're doing that literally right now. Like, literally, we are destroying the planet. Uh, uh, literally, uh, humans exist to, uh, for reasons. And we'll put that in very, very small font uh, of Comic Sans. We'll put that word. Uh, uh, won't, you know, uh, do things to protect themselves and others from a, a virus that's spreading across the globe and uh, uh, is not going to go away as long as humans like that exist. So the fact that they did that in the movie just sort of mirrors reality. So, you know, there's a very sad and depressing take on the Tomorrow War, which is a, a, a sort of a, almost lighthearted at moments um, action flick. Uh, on the note of action, wow. 
the uh, the baddies in this. Oh shit! What? It's funny. The, the misses and I. What did we watch last uh, from last movie monologue? Um, the devil below. There were these like underground creatures uh, that were real freaky deaky looking. These kind of like that. And you know what they reminded me of? Ooh. Uh, you know what? Maybe I'll work that into the title. So something like the Tomorrow War featuring. Species 8472, which is a Star Trek Voyager reference where they had these freaky deaky looking creatures that share some similarities um, with the Tomorrow War creatures, whatever they may be. We never really find out. Or, or I guess they're alien. Yeah. Uh, also sort of a... Oh, you know what? I, I think the title is Species 8472... Uh, 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 species 8472 plus Geiger aliens equal tomorrow war aliens. Something to that effect. Uh, on the note of aliens, H.R. Geiger, uh, in particular, his sort of thumbprint can be felt on, uh, uh, some of the later on scenes in this movie, which is, uh, which is fun and an homage, let's call it. Let's call it. Uh, okay, uh, uh, Mike Mitchell. Uh, my only complaint is he wasn't in it enough. <laughs> uh, who else do we got? Uh, 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 J.K. Simmons, looking jacked as ever. Sam Richardson, who uh, familiar with but hadn't really seen him in much. Uh, really uh, enjoyed his performance. Marilyn Rice Cup, that's good. Always good. And uh, yeah, other folks as well. Rating wise. Could go like a solid four and change. Uh, if you're looking for a sci-fi e action a movie e, this is a, a going to fit to the bill. E. Television talk. Today's television talk sponsor is Diddly Squat Farm Shop. Thank you for that sponsorship all right we're talking uh, a amazon original clarkson's farm the titular clarkson <laughs> of course played by jeremy clarkson uh, uh famed uh, f for top gear probably first and foremost but also you know uh, perhaps not the most uh, woke individual although although after watching this i think and, you know, feel free if there is a listener, just period, uh, to correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, I, I think he's making the attempt to, you know, uh, come up with the times not being a, a, a sort of old man yells at cloud. That's that, that sort of individual. I think he's making attempts to change, maybe become a little more wokish, if you will. Um, that's that's sort of peppered throughout. Uh, uh, Clarkson's Farm, which is a television documentary series uh, about Jeremy Clarkson and his farm in the Cotswolds, which I've never heard of the Cotswolds until I uh, saw this. So, uh, yeah, he is not a farmer. <laughs> his uh, he, He's got a shit ton of land, though, like uh, 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 just miles and miles and miles of land that uh, he had someone running 
uh, and sort of taking care of and I guess, well, yeah, farming, uh, that person then retired. And uh, I, I guess with Jeremy uh, no longer uh, traveling the globe as much, decided, hey, you know what? I'm going to fucking do this. How hard could it be, famous last words? <laughs> Apparently very fucking hard. Yeah, uh, for the purposes of television, it sort of makes me wonder... The, sh the amount of shit goes that goes wrong, uh, how much of it actually happened and how much of it uh, uh, perhaps, you know, this is cynical, of course, uh, existed, came about for the purposes of drama to make this thing more interesting. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, you know, I, I'd like to be optimistic. So, you know, let's just say maybe some and maybe none. You never know. Uh, like, definitely one that he had no control over was the weather, which seemed to be a real fucking bitch. Uh, uh, too wet or too dry. <laughs> the happy medium uh, very infrequently seemed to exist. Uh, uh, one thing I like of uh, 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 Jeremy Clarkson is he's a bit of an idiot. Uh, a, a lovable uh, bloke, you could say. I, I believe that's a term. Uh, so to see him sort of, uh, uh, fumble his way through things is just, you know, entertaining, uh, strangely almost, uh, and I don't really know why, uh, it was the missus who suggested this show. Uh, I probably would have watched it anyways, but she was like, uh, oddly excited to watch it. And, uh, 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 it was the one who initiated sort of, Oh, can we watch this? Can we watch this? And sh she wanted to like power through these episodes. Whereas I'm like, yeah, they're fine. But, uh. I think she liked them more than I did, which I don't get. <laughs> it's it's not something I would have expected, uh, just uh, from you know past experiences of watching what sort of media she consumes, aka garbage. Uh, rating wise, I think I will go solid four and change as well. Yeah. Uh, uh fun, e. Why did I say it like that? Funny. Uh, uh, interesting. Um, and some education, definitely. So it's definitely walked away knowing uh, things that I didn't know when I started watching it. Also, somewhat devastating uh, and depressing because you see... Uh, the, the difficulty that comes with being a farmer and the fact that it's not going to get easier and we're sort of uh, uh, not dissimilar to Tomorrow War and uh, our talk of a uncertain future, we're fucked. <laughs> uh, <laughs> okay, let's just push this button and move on. Conan, the librarian. Don't you know that we decimal system... Banter. Today's book banter sponsor is The Luggage. Thank you for that sponsorship. All right. Uh, uh, I think as predicted last episode, uh, predicted and also just straight out said, uh, I read The Color of Magic by Terry Pratchett, Discworld number one. Yes. Oh, it felt good. It, 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 like returning to a, a, a familiar, yet, yet not so much because it's been so many years, a, a scene of the crime. 
Why would I say scene of a crime? I don't know. Uh, Terry Pratchett's profoundly irreverent best-selling novels have garnered him a revered position in the halls of parody, next to the likes of Mark Twain, Kurt Vonnegut, Douglas Adams, and Carl Hyacinth. Hyas- I don't know that last name. Carl... Hmm. You know what? I am copying it and searching it, and I'll look into that. Uh, the Color of Magic is Terry Pratchett's maiden voyage through the now legendary land of Discworld. This is where it all begins, with the tourist Two Flower and his wizard guide Rincewind. Uh, yes, yeah, so, on that note of maiden voyage, uh, you could kind of feel, almost, you could feel him getting the feel <laughs> for this world in this first book. Uh, I think it was the fact that uh, uh, had been reading, you know, later books in the series, including the last one, you know, last week, uh, and then jumping to this one, you can kind of see the difference where he hasn't quite figured out, uh, uh, the sort of style that he, uh, eventually works his way to, which is a sort of fascinating thing to, uh, see still giving it a five out of five. Uh, f- perhaps some of that is nostalgia, uh, maybe a dash of that, that five out of five rating is nostalgia, perhaps I'm, I'm willing to admit, um, I love seeing, uh, Rincewind for the first time. Uh, he was one of the reasons that I sort of got into these books. I love a wizard. Whenever I play, uh, D and D, I almost exclusively play magic, magic users. Actually, the other day I saw on uh, Twitter, someone was asking, uh, this is a sort of an interesting question, especially if you're a, a well, I guess only if you're a D&D player. Uh, uh, if you had to pick one class and one class only to play for the, the rest of your life, what class would it be? And I think I would definitely go wizard. It's just the, uh, uh, for that, the <laughs> which is going to juxtapose nicely with Rincewind, uh, for D&D, uh, the, 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 the fact that you have the most amount of spells at your disposal means you can... Uh, flavor your character in innumerable ways. Whereas with Rincewind, <laughs> the sort of other end of the spectrum, he is, uh, we'll put wizard in quotes, he's, he sort of only knows one spell, and uh, even then, he never uses it over the course of this. Does he? No, I don't think he does. Yeah, uh, it was a spell in a sort of super uber-powerful, possibly evil a spell book that he was sort of, uh, uh, as a wizard student, uh, was sort of dared to read. Uh, he did so the spell jumped from his book and, uh, implanted itself in his mind, uh, uh, pushing out all possibility of learning any spells, but this one stuck in his mind, this, uh, ancient, possibly malevolent, super powerful spell is now in his mind. And it's the only spell, uh, he, can learn. So is he a wizard with a spell that, uh, uh, he can't really say because, you know, who knows what'll happen and he can't learn any other spells. So he's sort of a wizard esque. He's got all the, uh, you know, accoutrement, but, uh, you know, <laughs> not the greatest in terms of, uh, wizards, uh, uh, two flower, uh, the, the tourist here, another sort of interesting, uh, idea for a character just comes from another part of the disc world. Uh, if you're unfamiliar with the disc world, it is what, uh, some people, uh, seemingly, 
<laughs> think this world is fuck this is, this is getting depressing again uh it's flat <laughs> yes it is a flat world uh riding on the back of uh four elephants is it four i believe it's four four elephants that in turn are riding a back of a giant turtle that is you know flying through space as you do magic is real you know the, you got a lot of your uh uh uh, uh normal although usually with a twist, uh, races, your, your, your sort of fantasy races, just on the note of fantasy in general, I think it sort of feels a little more like, uh, in the, in the early books, uh, or at least in this one, uh, that uh, Terry Pratchett is more satirical, more, I don't want to say making fun of, uh, uh, fantasy novels and tropes, uh, whereas, uh, he sort of finds his own style uh, in, in the later ones. I don't know. That's just a uh, observation. Uh, regardless, the color of magic. Fucking good shit, man. Good shit, man. Oh, yeah. Gotta push a button. Today's game, Gavin sponsor is Components. Thank you for that sponsorship. All right, so I got a new one. Uh, I've picked this up during the Steam Summer Sale. Yes. Uh, God damn. My 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 list of oh, you know what? When I just look at it, uh, I have a I break all my Steam games into not played, currently playing, played. Uh, and then in brackets, great, played, then in brackets, good, played, then in brackets, meh, played, then in brackets, bad. Also, MISC, uh, non-Steam game launchers. Yeah. Uh, so, of my not played, <laughs> the it's not the largest of the, the lists, at least. That would be good. Uh, but it is uh, uh, too big with, at 177. 177 of the Steam games I have, I have never played. Or, you know what, that's not 100% fair. Because if I open this up, uh, uh, there's some that I probably have. Or, yeah, like, uh, this is a good example. Uh, Dragon Age 2, Dragon Age Inquisition, Dragon Age Origins. I have played those. I played them on, you know, PlayStation. I've never played the PC versions, uh, which, ooh, you know what, just reading those made me want to dust those off. Maybe I'll do that one of these days. Anyways, we're not here to talk about those games. We're here to talk about RimWorld. Oh, uh, you know what? This was on my wish list for a while. Which is kind of what I'll do is uh, when I see or hear about games that sound like they'd be up my alley, I'll put them on my wish list and then wait for a, you know, your summer sales, your your fall sales, your winter sales, your various steam sales. Um, and then uh, uh, if they end up being on sale, which this was, I'll pick them up then is my sort of tentative game plan. Uh, and this one I'm very glad I did because uh, it is very far up my alley. It's a lot of fun. Uh, let me read the wiki. Uh, it's an indie top-down construction and management simulation video game. Oh, Montreal. based uh, By Montreal-based developer Ludion Studios. Hmm. Originally called Eclipse Colony. 
interesting came out in 2018 and uh one of the reasons i think that uh, this game is still around and quite often games like this like a uh, rust comes to mind uh games that have steam workshop supports meaning uh, uh the community can sort of add content to the game uh which makes it uh, something that potentially at least can just go on and on and on as more uh, community as more community content is created uh this game that you're playing will always be fresh and new which uh this is also coming from a game that because it is randomly generated uh you already have that sort of uh, built-in uh, playability just again and again and again and you're at least potentially never going to get to the same results especially if you put it on uh uh, random, which is uh, how I have been playing most of the time. Uh, okay, so what is it? Uh, you and... Well, there's so many variables, but I'll just give a sort of an example of a, a default scenario. Uh, uh, you, you crash land, there's a, a four little, little little NPCs on the screen, or little, little characters on the screen uh, that you can control uh, through various means to do various tasks... Uh, what you're trying to do is build up a base. Um, you need to be uh, cognizant of things like your food consumption, uh, your clothing, your uh, defenses, uh, 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 water you don't actually have to worry about, which is good because that would have been a pain in the ass. Uh, you don't have to pay attention to power, though. Uh, so you'll have like uh, windmills, uh, uh, water wheels, solar panels, and you'll sort of work your way up getting uh, uh, more and more uh, advanced technology, which you'll have to do uh, research. So there's like a research tree a la, uh, you know, uh, Age of Empires, that sort of thing. And the end goal, which I have not yet reached because this game is pretty hard, uh, is uh, building, I think, depending on the scenario, building a spaceship uh, and escaping from the planet that you have crash landed on. Um, on the note of difficulty, even at lower levels, I have found that my, my colonists fairly quickly uh, just sort of uh, tend to spiral out uh, it, it, it's, I think that has been as what happened almost every time where, uh, they'll get in a bad mood and maybe one will throw a tantrum where they'll sort of start destroying equipment. Uh, the worst I've had where, uh, uh one sort of goes around and just kills the other colonists, uh, just because they're in a bad mood. Like, geez, ca ca calm down, bro. Uh, various things can happen that, uh, kill your colonists. Then something that keeps happening which is really fucking annoying is you'll bury them and you have to bury them or else uh everyone will be in a bad mood obviously with this dead body laying around but then sometimes they get in such a bad mood that they develop something called oh, what's it called it's called like corpse fascination or something like that where they'll fucking dig up one of the dead bodies and just hang out with it yeah that's happened on <laughs> quite a number of times so far uh so that's annoying uh, um, yeah, rating wise, I think it's going to be, and we spoke of this, I feel like not too long ago. I can't remember when, let me just see if I could figure it out. Uh, elite dangerous, maybe, uh, caves of quid, maybe. Uh, anyways, uh, we spoke of this recently with, I think one of those two games, uh, that sort of fits into this category of, uh, uh games that, 
I think I'm going to just sort of leave installed on my PC. Uh, few and far between this will happen. It's a game where I can just sort of pick up and play. That's sort of one of the main things. Relaxing. Yeah, kind of relaxing. <laughs> a little stressful with uh, fucking uh, corpses being dug up. Uh, but uh, the type of game that I feel like I will uh, periodically want to come back to and, you know, play a scenario or two and build up a base and see how far I can get. Uh, so for that reason, RimWorld gets a 5 out of 5. Today's Internet Intercourse sponsor is Punch-A-Bunch. Thank you for that sponsorship. Item the first. Ah, more than one item. Yes, the Price is Right 1980s episodes. Available for your viewing pleasure over there on YouTube. Yeah, um, I forget how I sort of stumbled across this. But uh, came up on my... Uh, YouTube homepage one day, which, uh, uh, is a resource that I quite often use to add things to, uh, my weekly playlist or the Mrs.'s playlist, which I think we spoke of last episode, uh, and, uh, found one of these and threw it on, uh, not really suspecting, uh, expecting much other than, you know, a fun time watching maybe an old episode of Price is Right, but they are a goddamn delight and, uh, the Mrs. loves them. Uh, up there with her love of Clarkson's farm, apparently old episodes of the price is right. Now, uh, not all of them are like this, but my favorite ones are ones in which somehow, some way, uh, and I guess maybe it's, although the quality is pretty good on all the ones I've seen, uh, it's almost like someone recorded these, you know, on a VHS back in 1980, uh, the, uh, these episodes, uh, some of the ones we've watched anyways, and then just, uh, 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 posted them to YouTube, I guess, transferred them to a PC. Or, uh, there's some work involved with doing that, needless to say, uh, and then posted them to, to YouTube. Now, the reason I say that, and the reason it's cool is because you're not just getting the show, you're getting the commercials, you're getting the 1980s commercials, which is sort of a fascinating trip down, uh, uh, maybe not necessarily memory lane because uh, the Mrs. and I were born in 81, so we're not <laughs> maybe going to uh, uh, remember the commercials from 1980. Uh, although some of them we do because uh, I feel like, t uh, and this is maybe more of a question, did uh, commercials from the 80s and maybe even the 90s, uh, did they play them a lot more uh, in terms of... Uh, like length, like, uh, 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 more often, like they made a commercial and then let use that commercial for, you know, years. Whereas now I feel like you, uh, uh, see a commercial and maybe you'll see it once or twice, although I don't watch TV anymore. So I don't really know if this is the case. Uh, but I feel like back in the day, even compared to when I did still, uh, uh, watch television, you know, cable, uh, uh, you would see a commercial, periodically over the course of years in some cases, which is how some commercials sort of become in, in, ingrained in your mind. Whereas now I feel uh, that's m a much less likely scenario. Is that, uh, is that accurate? I feel like it is anyways. Uh, so uh, if you like me uh, uh, spent uh, time, uh, school time, 
lunchtime, uh, going to a friend's house at lunch and watching The Price is Right. Uh, that'll be up your alley, and it's a, it's a good dose of nostalgia. I'm starting to relearn the games as well uh, and, and uh, get good at them. Uh, so the missus and I will obviously play along uh, or have little bets or stuff like that just to make it a little more fun. Speaking of fun, segue, Julie's surprise party. Yes. I don't know if I brought back a double threat yet. Uh, double threat is the, is a podcast, uh, uh, with hosts, Julie Klausner and Tom Sharpling. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it's basically, uh, just, you know, two super funny people sitting around shooting the shit. Uh, not much in the way of, you know, uh, uh, set segments per se. However, traditionally uh that is where the uh, uh, as long as your hosts are as funny as they are mm-hmm. uh traditionally that is where podcast gold i feel like uh at least from my perspective and why i love podcasts is that that's how it happens just two funny people shooting the shit maybe you have some guests maybe you don't maybe you do some segments maybe you don't uh uh, uh just the silliness cranked to 11 uh-huh silliness cranked to 11 uh and it's a goddamn delight uh so if i haven't brought it back apologies uh this would be a uh, potentially a good would it be <laughs> okay this would not be a good episode to start with i've just realized because there's a uh, quite a number of uh in jokes uh yeah a little bit a little bit uh you you could start with this episode uh and just not understand potentially some things so um it was uh, Julie's birthday, which uh, uh, <laughs> one thing I liked is uh, she apparently specifically asked uh, Tom, uh, you're not going to do anything for my birthday. And he, uh, and he specifically said, no, of course not. Uh, <laughs> so the fact that uh, he then did uh, <laughs> was, you know, funny. Uh, for some reason, we had a... <laughs> Uh, we had, uh, throughout a lot of the episode, uh, uh, one of the guests was Columbo. Yes, that Columbo. Or rather, and, uh, uh, I looked into it because his, his, uh, a link to his website was posted, uh, somewhere where I found it, uh, a, uh, uh, impersonist, impressionist, impressionist, what the fuck am I doing? It's early in the morning, folks. Let me just say that. Impressionist, who uh, came on and did uh, his Columbo impression for uh, a very, very long time. <laughs> uh, for some reason. I, I, can't, I don't actually know why. Is Julie a big fan of Columbo? I will admit my listenership to Double Threats has been probably only going for six months or so. Yeah. It's just, uh, uh, I've been listening to the best show for, you know, I, I probably a year and change. And then, uh, he mentioned this, so I came over and, uh, uh, have really enjoyed it. So that explains that situation. Uh, one thing I will say of this, uh, guy's Columbo impression, it sounded a little bit like Johnny Carson. <laughs> Uh, okay. It sounded a lot like Johnny Carson to the degree where I wondered for a moment if, uh, this was like an in-joke that I didn't get where this guy was saying he was Columbo, but was doing a Johnny Carson impression. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we had a guest, Scott Thompson of Kids in the Hall. Yes. Awesome. Apparently friends with, uh, w- with Julie, which is, uh, uh, I did not know. And it was a fun thing to find out. Uh, 
fun as well is being on Twitter and uh, following uh, all the various kids in the hall and seeing some of the shots from the uh, uh, the set of, of, of the new season of Kids of the Hall. I don't know if you knew about that. I feel like it's uh, uh, perhaps not widely known yet, but uh, the, they're coming back for at least one more season, which is a goddamn delight. Uh, I can't wait to see that. Uh, that was a sort of very informative show for me uh, back in the day for my uh, uh, comedy early comedy develop brain development is a thing I'm going to say. Uh, last but not least, and perhaps most impressive. Oh, uh, they, before I get to that, uh, they had a, uh, a birthday cake for her with a picture of the, uh, performer divine. Oh, uh, Tom performs a monkeys inspired song. Yes. Uh, Metallica poem. And most importantly of all, most importantly and impressively, they got Jerry from T Public to come and wish Julia happy birthday. Incredible, Jerry from T Public. Oh, maybe that's uh, maybe that's the title as well. Jerry from T Public and Tarot Bang. Uh, all right, uh, so I uh, highly recommend that podcast. Maybe, eh, you know what, I'll tell you what, I'll let you decide. Uh, w- listen to the podcast for sure. Whether you start with that episode or not uh, will depend on if you want to be a little more adventurous, let's say. If you, if you like a little adventure, start with that episode where some things won't make sense, uh, and it'll be a little crazier than an average one. Okay. Uh, Moving on to the final thing of this internet's intercourse, Exandria Unlimited. Uh, Of course, I was going to talk about this eventually. Uh, I am two episodes in. Uh, If you're unfamiliar with this, it is a a sort of between seasons uh, mini campaign from the good people over at Critical Role. Uh, It takes place uh, six years after campaign two. Uh, a, a whole different cast of characters and uh, I gotta say uh, two episodes in I am digging it it's uh, interesting to and man it's gonna be tough for uh, Abrea Abrea? oh shoot I just realized I don't know if it's Abrea, Abrea I'm pretty sure it's Abrea uh, I, I've heard it said but uh, you know again it's early in the morning and I have the dreaded name curse which uh, I haven't alluded to in a long time uh, uh, gotta be tough she's the the uh, uh, the DM for the for these uh, for these sessions uh, gotta be tough to hop into a world created by someone else I mean I guarantee she has some leeway to create things uh, that will exist forever in this uh, in this universe. However, uh, you, you gotta have some of that nervousness. I, I imagine, at least I know I would, of uh, stepping on things or uh, or adding things that just don't fit from the perspective of the person who created it, Matt Mercer. Uh, not least of which, that nerves has to come from the fact that Matt Mercer is one of the fucking players at the table, uh, sitting there watching you do things to the world he created. That's got to be nerve wracking as well. So. Um, at least I know for myself, if I was in that situation, my nerves would be cranked to 11. So the fact that she is doing as well as she has in these first two episodes is goddamn impressive. Um, 
so <laughs> just one thing I'm thinking in particular, they, uh, I forget how it came up. Oh, someone said they're not in Kansas anymore at one point. And then another character says, what's Kansas? <laughs> because obviously Kansas does not exist in this fantasy realm. Uh, she spoke of how she's going to add Kansas to the realm as a sort of place that exists. And Matt Mercer just said, no, no, please don't. <laughs> because then, uh, uh, you know, in campaign three, uh, conceivably, it's going to take place later than campaign two. I hope it does. I hope it's not a prequel. Anyways, um, he would have to contend with the fact that now Kansas exists in this world. Uh, so that's fine. And I wonder if or what he will take away from this mini campaign and bring forth to his, presuming that uh, his is a sequel and not a prequel, which I, I, I think it'll be a sequel. I imagine it'll be a sequel. Okay, so we have... Um, uh, let me run down the characters uh, and who are playing them. Amy Carrero playing Opal, who is a human warlock. Oh. Uh, she's a delight. I uh, love her. Uh, probably... Uh, uh, the newest in terms of has played the least, uh, which, you know, uh, that, that does two things, uh, uh, potentially. And I could see some people who are just very rules heavy and gotta be this, gotta be this, gotta be this, uh, uh, which I am not, uh, uh see a, a new player like this in this situation and will, uh, you know, say mean things. <laughs> yeah. Because the internet is a jerk, just sort of often uh and uh people around D &D and the rules and those who uh, see the rules as law and uh sort of religion almost uh, may see someone who doesn't know the rules 100 percent and poo poo them and don't do do that because it is uh, uh clear that despite the fact that she's uh, uh, uh maybe not the most uh, uh, knowledgeable when it comes to the rules she's having fun and that's what the most important goddamn thing is. Uh, and, and not only is she having fun, uh, 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 the fact that it's so obvious that she is is sort of infectious. And you could see the other sort of playing off of it. And uh, I, I know as a watcher, uh, watching this new person play this game that I love uh, and see her sort of figure things out and uh, uh, j just have a fucking blast doing it, clearly uh, sort of reinvigorates my love of it. So... Thank you, Amy Carrero. Uh, another new player that I haven't seen before, Robbie Damond. Uh, I think all of these folks are voice actors, I'm pretty sure. Uh, yeah, uh, he's playing uh, Dorian Storm and Air Ganassi Bard. Oh, uh, him as well. Uh, I think maybe slightly better grasp of the rules, but uh, still also figuring it out and having fun doing so. Uh, uh, he's the type of player that I like because um, seemingly, at least from what I've seen so far, he uh, uh, will sort of get the story moving, which you always need someone like that. Similar to uh, Travis. Travis was always a, a player that's just like, okay, I do it. I do, I do this thing. I do this thing. Like he doesn't like sitting around and waiting for things to happen. He'll go out there and do it, which, um, if you have a whole table full of sort of a, a tentative players, uh, it, it could slow things down to a crawl. You need the sort of player that will, you know, get things moving. And uh, I've seen him do that a couple times, which is nice. Uh, Ashley Johnson, she's playing uh, uh, Fern Calloway, a fawn, which I guess I wonder if they just reskinned a satyr, probably. Uh, 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 a druid, Circle of Wildfire, which is interesting. 
Um, <laughs> one fun thing I've seen is the interaction between Ashley and Amy, because sort of famously, uh, uh, Ashley, her knowledge of the rules, despite playing uh, you know, hundreds of hours, is not the greatest, uh, which, uh, you know, amusing, and she will admit it herself and does so frequently, especially when uh, Amy was like uh, seemingly feeling down on herself a little bit, which, uh, you know, I get that as well. Uh, for not knowing some of the rules and and, and, and the maths of it, then uh, Ashley sort of chimes in like, "I still don't know some of the rules," which uh, you know, amusing for those lighthearted individuals, I think, like myself. Probably less so for those uh, 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 angry rule people that I mentioned earlier. Uh, Matthew Mercer, ah, finally getting a play, which uh, probably doesn't very often, uh, probably infrequently. Uh, playing a Dariax Xavion, a dwarf divine soul sorcerer. Interesting. Very interesting choice. I actually watched a video. Um, uh, I don't remember who it was. It was actually someone I don't think I've seen before. Uh, um, how his build will be sort of really powerful, which uh, I could see. Um, uh, mountain dwarf. Uh, 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 yeah. Uh, he's just a good player. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, it's something that comes, I think from DMing for so long. Uh, uh, well, you know what? I've heard nightmares, nightmare scenarios of, uh, uh DMs being bad players. Um, in my experience, uh, DMs are some of the best players just for the reason that they know what you running the game are going through and all the work you've put in it. So that makes them that much more willing to put in work of their own, which uh, clearly uh, uh, Matt Mercer is doing at the table here. Uh, you could see him trying to, at times, uh, help the DM. Uh, just sort of on that note... Uh, well, let me do, uh, Liam O'Brien first, uh, uh, Orum of the Air Ashari. He's a halfling fighter. Oh, yes. Yeah, so went from wizard to fighter, which is, uh, <laughs> quite a difference. Uh, halfling, no less. So he's like a little guy, which is fun. Uh, so he must be a dex, uh, dex-based fighter. Interesting. Uh, one thing I wish they did is they started at level two. I wish they had to start at level three so we would know what... Uh, uh, for the fighter, so for Liam's, what we know what his subclass is, and for the bard, what their subclass is. The other ones, we all know, because they're level 2. Uh, yeah, so, I wish I had started at level 3. And another thing I wish they did, which uh, it sounds like they didn't, was discuss... Uh, uh, their characters with one another beforehand. Like, it's sort of felt like, and I think Matt even just straight out said that they made their characters sort of in a vacuum, um, which, you know, there's reasons narratively to do that. Um, but I think probably, especially in a scenario like this, where you're like doing it online for people to watch, uh, it makes more sense to, uh, have characters developed with one another so you could sort of play off and uh, plan and uh, perhaps have an intermingled backstory ideally uh, just because especially when there's only eight episodes it would be nice to start off from the point of view where they kind of know each other a little bit uh, but then again you know what I've noticed here is 
both the players and the characters have been forced to get to know one another in this stressful situation, both in-game and out-game, which uh, has had some tension, and I think it comes from the fact that uh, some of them are uh, lawful, (laughs) good. Um, I don't think lawful good, but lawful and good. And some of them uh, a little more shady, a little more uh, chaotic. In fact, I think three of the characters have chaotic alignments, which has made for some interesting decisions, particularly when it comes to seeing how uh, Liam has had to... At times it's almost felt like he's been forced into situations that his character wouldn't uh, go along with just because he's got all these chaotic people with him, uh, which... I, I think after watching the second episode, he's sort of perhaps leaning into a little more the fact that, yes, these people with him are maybe not uh, good, maybe not always lie by, law-abiding, maybe a little chaotic. Um, uh, I, I could leave and, you know, uh, pursue my own uh, uh, things. However, if I stay with them, maybe I can steer them in the right direction as a sort of voice of reason, as a sort of uh, father figure almost. Maybe he leans into that a little more. Uh, a lot of sort of uh, uh, eye rolling at some of the things uh, <laughs> they do. That uh, uh, yeah. Anyways, um, so uh, two episodes in, six to go. I don't know how it's been received so far. Uh, I know the Critical Role fans they love Critical Role, which means I think one of two things. Because they love Critical Role and anything that has to do with it, they'll love this. Or, they love Critical Role and the fact that it's a little different means they will hate it. <laughs> Which is fucking sad that uh, 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 that sort of thing... Uh, uh, that, that sort of thing is... Internet fandom uh, can be a, a very toxic thing. And uh, uh, sometimes I worry that... Uh, 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 that will happen to this group, uh, which is which is sad, and I hope it doesn't happen too much, folks. Jesus, uh, I spent a lot more time talking about that than I had planned, but say la vie. It's nice to be nice to the nice. This is the end of the show. A sincere thank you for listening. Time to plug some things, and I do not mean buts. You can like us on Facebook. You can follow Jordan underscore Maywood on Twitter. You can subscribe and comment on iTunes. Lastly, if you would like to contact the podcast, you can email jordan.maywood at gmail.com. I would like to conclude that I am not a robot and that I have a theory. I've got a theory that it's a demon, a dancing demon. Something isn't right there. I've got a theory. The best is yet to come, and babe, won't it be fine? You think you've seen the sun, but you ain't seen it shine. Wait till the warm-up's underway. Wait till our lips have met. Wait till you see that sunshine day You ain't seen nothing yet The best is yet to come and be Won't it be fine?
The best is yet to come. Live long and prosper.